If you have questions running through your mind, ask Pastor Dave and he shall help you find the answers you've been looking for. All from God to life and more. So if you are joining us today for another episode of My Pastor Says, then you are already see, already see, that's how I started this thing out. I'm a professional talker. You're already noticing something different, and that is that there is a live studio audience in the house with me. Let them hear it again, guys. So... Uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, to the tens of you out there who are faithful downloaders, uh, we are actually up in Salina, Kansas this week. Uh, we are at a camp called Super Summer, which has been ridiculously fun. Uh, last night, um, this is an announcement for those of you in the room as well, last night we had 12 kids decide to make first-time salvation decisions for Jesus, which is awesome. And I have a sneaking suspicion that, that God is not quite done yet. So uh, we're really excited of our last full day of camp. Uh, we are with currently the older students, the more mature of the students in the room. Uh, they're very excited about that. Um, and so we didn't try this with the youngers because, quite frankly, I just don't trust them at all. So uh, so anyways, what I had happened yesterday, uh, for those of you who are regular listeners and for those of you who are in the room hearing for the very first time, usually what we do is we'll take one question and spend about 20 or 30 minutes going in depth, answering that question. It could be anything about the Bible, life, God, anything, right? Well, no topics are off limits. Um, we've gotten into some really good stuff already. And so yesterday, uh, you guys had an opportunity to submit questions in. And what I'm going to try to do, I have 17 minutes and 27 seconds from right now. I'm going to try to answer through uh, the bulk of them. Uh, type notes into my computer so we can go uh, right on through. Um, I don't think I need any clarification, but I may be asking the uh, audience a few questions as well that you guys can feel free to jump in on. Uh, but are you guys ready to go? All right. So here we go. Uh, the very first question, and the one that I think I can answer the quickest and easiest, uh, is that somebody wrote in and they said, if I want to start studying the Bible on my own, where should I start? Uh, so this is a fantastic question because I think a lot of times people do this number where they pick up the, this is, by the way, a bad idea. Let me just go ahead and throw this out there. They'll pick up their Bible and they'll be like, okay, I want to I feel something from God. And they'll do it almost like a magic eight ball. They'll shake it upright and then they're like, go. And then it's like uh, something completely weird, like about nothing. About You might get Judges chapter three, my favorite story about Shamgar in the Bible. It's one verse and it says, after Ehud came, Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat, he too saved Israel, right? And you're like, okay, we're just going to put this away now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to make of that. It's not a good way to start. So here's what I always recommend to people who want to start studying the Bible. Um, I always say pick something that is easy to understand. And for my money, you can't start anywhere better than with one of the gospel books. So the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The one that I recommend the most, just because it's my favorite to read, is the book of John. Um, John is all about one theme throughout the book, and that is this believe in Jesus and you will be saved, right? That's all, yeah, that's a woo, if I ever heard one, right? Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And it walks through the life and ministry of Jesus and explains it just as simply as it can. Um, so that's a good place to start. Let me give you the worst place to start. You ready? Leviticus. 
Don't start in Leviticus. Uh, it's a bunch of weird things about how to properly slit a goat's throat. It, well, listen, I, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. If you want to start there, you start there. But uh, you're going to be really confused about what the Bible's about if you just start there, right? Uh, so anyways, I would say recommend the book of John. One other thing I would say is this. You guys live in a world where you have at your feet, not this week because we took your phones, <laughs> losers, but... Uh, <laughs> You have this week at your fingertips, uh, or not this week, after this week, a phone that is connected to literally all of the wealth of human information and knowledge. And here's the thing. I think Google, I think they're a company that's evil. They're going to end up destroying the earth, but they run a dope search engine, right? Um, And so you can type in, if you're struggling with something, use Google, redeem it for good. Like, I don't understand what John 7, 34 says or whatever, right? And then you can actually type that in, and, and there's all kinds of stuff that'll pop up on books that will help you. There's devotionals. If you can go to a Christian bookstore, ask your youth pastor. Don't just read the Bible, but find supporting things that go along with it so that when you're reading it, you're actually learning more about what the scripture says. Make sense? Then from there, kind of go wherever's interesting to you. If you like poetry, read books of poetry. If you want to stay and do more narrative stuff like Matt was talking about in worship today, uh, you can do that. Or uh, for me, I really like the book of Acts and seeing what the church did after Jesus went up into heaven because that's who we are now as we're the church. So is that good for that question? All right, here we go. Next one, and I'm going to ask you guys how many of you struggle with this. One of you wrote the question, but I think probably a lot of you are dealing with it in some form or another. And I'm going to summarize it to say this. The person who wrote it um, had a friend who did something that really hurt them. Um, And the question was basically, I'm really struggling with this concept of forgiveness. I don't know how to wrap my head around how to forgive somebody because at this point I'm really struggling with kind of hating them. So let me just ask you this, show of hands in the room, how many of you at some point in time or another have struggled with the idea of forgiveness? Okay, for those of you joining us on the audio podcast, that's virtually every single person in the room, maybe a few not, right? Uh, Some of them are asleep. They're really tired. It's been a busy week at camp. So um, dealing with forgiveness, uh, there's an old quote that is actually not biblical, but I always like to start with this because I think it's a good thing. Uh, it says this, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? You holding on to your anger is a toxic thing. Uh, I know for me personally, when I am struggling with forgiveness, what I find is I myself am getting short with more people. I'm dealing with anger all the time. I'm starting to see in people, like I start assuming the worst in people all the time, right? Once you've had your trust violated, it's easy to start assuming that everybody's going to violate trust. As a matter of fact, this week, I talked to a kid who's actually in the younger group, and, and I was asking if they would trust me enough to come and talk to me just to let me know if they need anything. And, and she looks at me, she's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, what did I do to you? <laughs> Why don't you trust me? I'm delightful and very trustworthy. And she said to me, I've been hurt by adults before, so I just don't trust adults, right? Which is tragic, because most of the people are adults. You know what I'm talking about? And so they have this violated trust, and so it hurts. So anyways, uh, I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about forgiveness. In Mark 11, 25, this is the importance that he places on forgiveness. It says, whenever you stand praying, whenever you are praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that... Let's make sure that we understand what we're saying. So that you forgive because the following thing can only happen if you are willing to forgive others. So that your Father also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Did you guys hear that? I heard a couple of people go, ooh. <laughs> All right. 
You have to forgive others. Why? So that God might forgive you. That's how important of a, of a, of a word, anybody important of a emphasis that he puts on this idea of forgiveness is that literally if you're unwilling to forgive others, how can you expect God to forgive you? Let's reverse engineer that. So you understand what that means. How many of you would say in my life, I have been forgiven by God. Okay, a bunch of us, good. If you've been forgiven by God, then you understand what that forgiveness means. It means that, like we talked about last night, for those of you on the audio podcast, you missed a dope sermon, but uh, like we talked about last night, being forgiven by God, being given that life means you're going from dead to alive. And in that moment, you become so aware of what your sin did, right? The consequences of your sin, that if God is willing to forgive you of your sin, and you can't then look at somebody else and say, they're just a broken sinner too, and I'm going to forgive them, then you are withholding from others what God has given to you. If you're on a, on a boat, right, and you fall off, doing one of those cruise ships, the big tall boats, right, and you fall off and you're in the water, and you're like splashing around, and you're going to drown, the boat is moving away from you, and somebody sees you, and they throw you a life ring, and like, they pull you up and you would be dead if it were not for them. And then the next day you happen to be on the boat and watch somebody else fall over, right? What is the only logical thing for you to do? Save them, right? To grab the life ring, to throw it over because you know what that feeling is of being like, you're on the way out. You're going to die. Like you are lost. You can't, like it's going to end for you. It's the same idea of being saved on the boat and then looking at the person who went over like, well, you shouldn't have fallen over the edge, dummy right? You understand how selfish that is? If you've been forgiven by God, it has to change you. It has to change you, and you have to get to that spot of forgiveness. Now, that does not mean all relationships go back to normal, right? Listen to me, girls, ladies, look at me. Hey, just to make sure that the people at home know how many ladies are here, can I get a woo? There you are. Girls, if you have a guy who treats you like garbage, right? Straight up treats you like garbage. And then he's like, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Yeah, you need to forgive him, right? Does that mean you need to get back into a relationship with him? No, it does not. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't change and that God can't redeem a relationship. What I'm saying is like sometimes you can forgive and still move on from the situation because it's a toxic situation for you. But you don't have the option if you call yourself a Christian to live in unforgiveness. If God's forgiven you, then it is an expectation that you would recognize that everybody else is just as broken as you are and you need to forgive others. Understand? All right. Next question. Here we go. we got two on prayer. One was anonymous, uh, and, and it said that they had prayed for their parents to not get divorced, and their parents ended up getting divorced. And the question was, did my prayer not work? That's question number one. The second one was this. How can I advance my prayer lives to make it more of like a conversation instead of just words in my head? So we're going to start with the one uh, with the, the unanswered prayer, the prayer that didn't work. How many of you guys have ever prayed for something that didn't work out the way you wanted? Does that mean God doesn't love you? Did God forget about you? See, you're saying that, but not very excitedly, right? It's a struggle when you desperately want something in your heart and you pray for it. You say, God, this is this is what I, I, I desperately long for. This is the thing that I want. This is the thing that I feel like I need. And then you don't get that thing. I understand the thought of saying, okay, God, where are you at right now? What's going on? There is an important element of prayer that you have to understand if you want your prayer to line up with what God's expectation of your prayer is, okay? And we see it with Jesus a couple of 
of times. First one is in the Lord's Prayer. After they give us this day, day right? uh, uh, as, as he's walking through, he actually says a thing in the prayer. He says, whose kingdom come? Your kingdom come and your will be done. You guys hear it? Your will be done. The thing, God, that ultimately you need to happen or that you are, are, are okay with happening, it's not what I want to happen that needs to happen, but God, you are in control. And so even though I, I come to your request, I trust you to be good even if the things in my life seem bad. And therefore, it's not my will that I want if it gets in the way of what your plan is. Your will be done. Now, if forever, whoever this is, let me talk to you about why your parents got divorced. First off, I don't know the specifics of it, but I will say this. Divorce happens because we are broken. Divorce happens because relationships fail. Divorce happens because back into the last one, a lot of times the forgiveness thing, uh, it, it doesn't happen early in the relationship. And over time, things just grow more and more toxic. The reality is divorce happens because people make broken decisions, right? And so in that moment, as you're praying about that thing, to be praying for 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 your parents to stay together, to be praying for somebody to be cured of a disease. That's a good prayer to pray as long as it's coupled with your will be done. Now, Jesus said that's how you should pray early in his ministry, but then he proved it later because before Jesus went to the cross, he went out and he prayed to God the Father, right? And he starts praying so hard that what? He starts sweating drops of blood. I don't know if you've ever prayed that hard, but that seems like a real intense prayer. And Jesus prays this prayer to God before the cross, and what does he say? He says, listen, God, if there is any other way possible to do this thing, let's do it that way. I don't want to go to the cross. This is not going to be a good thing. Like, it's going to be a good thing, ultimately. But like, it's, it's going to be very difficult. I, like, if there's another way to do it, let this cup pass from me. But what did he say after that? But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus modeled it when he told you how to pray, and then he, he lived it when it came to praying his own prayer to a thing that he didn't want to happen. He said, listen, I trust God even if I don't like the way it's going to play out, that God is good even if it seems bad. So when you pray, that's the one thing that I think most people are missing from their prayer life. They, they go to God with their list of things like, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. I'd love some of this, a little bit of that grace, none of the punishment or consequences. If you could do the love stuff, but not the hard things, that would be dope. And if you could make all the relationships work, and if you could make everything be happy, that would be fantastic. But not my will, but your will be done. So when you pray, if you're missing that line from your prayer, then you're kind of missing the heart of what prayer is all about. Does that make sense? You guys are going quiet on me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. If you, whoever that is who wrote that question, if you want to talk more about that, I would love to talk with you afterwards. We have four minutes and 30 seconds, and I am on to the last one, and this is a fantastic question, and I think I know the context in which it was put in. The question is this, is it sinful to put yourself in tempting situations, or is it just unwise? And that's a great question. Is it sinful to put yourself in a tempting situation or is it just unwise? Well, let's start out with the obvious answer. It's definitely unwise, right? So here's what I think is happening on this one. My working assumption is that the uh, thing we're talking about right now, it, let me make sure this is still going. Yeah, it is. Uh, my working assumption is we're probably talking about a relationship. That's my guess, right? Because every time I've done any camp with a bunch of teenagers before, the question that I get a lot of the time is this. 
where's the line in my relationship, right? Like, how much can I do physically and still be okay with God, right? And I'm going to say this. If that's your starting point, you're already making a mistake, okay? You've already, you're like, boy, how far can I go and still, like, check off my purity box, right? Like, it's the wrong way to start this conversation. To put yourself in a tempting situation means this. You're putting yourself in a spot where you're going to be tempted to do what? Sorry, that was not rhetorical. Where you're going to be tempted to do what? Sin, Sin, right? You're putting yourself in a spot where you're saying, like, I know that the, the end result of what I'm putting myself in the position to do is going to be not bringing glory to God, is going to be taking me off of God's path. And so, like, can I put myself in those spots and just kind of flirt with the line a little bit but not cross it and still be okay? And I think that that shows where your heart is at, doesn't it? You guys hear that, right? How close can I get to sin without actually sinning? That's the wrong question. The question should be, how close can I possibly draw myself to God and his righteousness, right? How close, how close can the relationship that I have with my significant other mirror what God has called relationships to look like? That's the question that we should be asking. So is it sinful? I think probably you're right up on it already if you're already asking that question. I think that legitimately for me, here's what I would say. If you feel the desire to put yourself in tempting situations within a relationship, you're not ready for a relationship. You're just not. And that's fine. You know, you guys, your brains are not fully developed. Did you know that? Like your frontal lobe is still going haywire. It's why, like when something happens to me, I've got done preaching before and people have come up, you know what they've said to me? That was a bad sermon, Dave. And I'm like, first off, no, it wasn't. Secondly, we're, you're dead to me, right? Like, and I just walk off. I'm just like, I don't do that, right? Well, Jim, I've had people come up and criticize me right after preaching. We're like, I'm kind of like, when I get off the stage, I'm like processing everything I said. I'm already thinking through what stuff I missed and all this kind of stuff. And people will come up and say these mean things to me or whatever, right? And do you know what I do? I say, oh, I'm really sorry that, uh, you know, you didn't like it. I hope that if you come back next week, you'll like the next one. Because here's the thing. I have a fully developed frontal cortex, and I don't just fly off the handle at every little thing. I, like, Dave, as far as, like, physical relationship or, or lust or desires go, Dave at 38 is very different than Dave at 18, right? And so here's the thing. You guys are just giant walking hormones without developed brains. That's what you are. You understand this? And so the reality is that if you're pursuing relationships, there's a really good chance that you're going to make unwise decisions if you put yourself in unwise places. So the short answer is, it's definitely unwise, it's probably sinful, and it's, it's just not the way that God has called you to live. This week, what are we talking about being? Abnormal, right? We're, the, the theme, for those of you listening, the theme of camp this week is return to abnormal. Don't try to look like society. Don't try to let your relationships look like the broken relationships around you. Be the abnormal ones. And ladies, let me hear one more. Woo! You're going to have to drive the ship on this one because boys are dumb idiots, man. Like, they just are. And I say that 
I say that having been a boy myself, and I'm telling you within the relationships, you should look for a guy who's going to honor you and respect you, but you have to prove that you are worthy of honor and respect. You're going to be the one who has to set the bar and hold your guy accountable to that bar. Because, man, I'm telling you, when I say you're a walking hormone, you have no idea the depravity of a 17-year-old male brain, okay? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dark, weird place to be. So don't put yourself in the spot where temptation will cause you to sin. Does that make sense? All right, so we are 32 seconds. Wait, don't move yet, people in the room. We're 32 seconds over on time. Thank you guys so much for the really good questions. I am with you all week or for the rest of the week. Please come and let me know if you have anything else that you want to talk about. Uh, will you guys say goodbye to everybody listening at home? Bye. Bye. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. We will have another one out next week, and I expect a lot of downloads coming from this room. We love you guys. We will talk to you soon. We out.